Amen. Thank you, Ken. You guys be seated. Thank you, Jason, worship team, for leading us in worship. It's good to see you all here this morning. I trust you're doing well. If, uh, if you're a visitor with us and I haven't had a chance to introduce myself, my name is Jason. I have the honor and privilege of pastoring here at the church, being the lead pastor, uh, serving with an awesome staff, and uh, serving among a body of elders who love Jesus more than they love themselves. And Ken is one of those elders. And so um, if you aren't aware, every Sunday morning before I get up to open God's Word, uh, one of our elders comes up to, to pray. And so um, that allows you to know who they are and for those men to pray over us. And so i um, just really honored to have this position today. And, um, and so we're going to be uh, wrapping up our Church United series, our series where we walk through the vision of our church and look at this amazing mission that we've been called to by Jesus. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, living the mission in our everyday lives. What does it mean to live the mission intentionally? And so um, we're going to start, uh, just a correction on your sermon notes. If you're taking notes, uh, the sermon notes say Matthew 5. We're actually going to be in Matthew 4. You can just mark out the 5 and put a 4. I think all the rest of the scripture addresses are correct. So um, as we look at the mission that we've been called to as a church, we're going to start in Matthew 4. We're going to stop off in Matthew 16 and end in Matthew 28. That's where we're going today. Um, as we get prepared to talk about mission, I think it's important to lay some groundwork. In the current church culture, the word mission has now been modified into an, to the adjective missional to describe a variety of different things. And so I want to be cautious that when we say the word mission, we're all thinking about the same thing. And so for some, uh, when that word is used, missional, um, what is implied is the idea of, of outreach or having open arms. If you are a missional church, you're always uh, thinking about, excited to embrace the unengaged. And that's missional for some. Uh, now, when we use the word mission here at Solid Rock, that is implied, but also, along with it, so much more. When we talk about being missional or the mission of our church, what we're talking about is really everything that we do. So for us, missions isn't a project or an event or something we add on to what we do. Everything we do here, every resource, every second given by a volunteer, every penny given is about being on the mission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. And so when we use the word missional, we're meaning so much more than just reaching out. For us, some, being missional means that you're evangelistic. You're always looking for opportunities to share the gospel and invite people who aren't Christians to become Christians. We mean that too. When some people use it, they're simply talking about the way that they travel around the globe and go do missionary work. We mean that too. Everything that we do, everything we do is a part of the mission that we are on as a church. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 18. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is where he engages the disciples for the first time and invites them to follow him. And we're going to see that these guys are already uh, probably young adults and involved in a career path, working uh, as fishermen. Uh, and, and probably the last thing on their mind when they get up the morning that we're about to read about is, hey, Let's drop what we're doing and go follow a religious leader. And so in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we read these words, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus walking, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Okay, so this wasn't a hobby. This wasn't a weekend camping adventure. It's what these guys did. 
So they had already grown up to the point where they had started their career path. Their trajectory was set. They, they knew fishing. And we don't have a whole lot of contextual information or background information that would lend to, believe, to, to cause us to believe that they knew a whole lot about who Jesus was. Now, as he approached them, they might have been able to discern from the way he was dressed or the way he was looked that he potentially was a religious leader, a rabbi, right? But no background that would cause us to believe that they knew that the Son of God was about to walk up to them and extend an invitation. So we continue on in verse 19, and he being Jesus said to them, Follow me. Now, for Peter and Andrew, right, potentially, this is a religious leader. He's asking us to go follow him to do some kind of religious work, some kind of ministry. But at this point, these guys, right, don't know that this is the Son of God saying, follow me. And so while on the onset, the idea in their minds might be, you know what, we're going we're gonna to quit fishing for the day and we're going to go follow him out of curiosity or some sense of, wow, this is honorable. A religious guy asked us to follow him. So let's, let's quit what we're doing for the moment and let's go follow him, right? But what Jesus means is so much more than just momentarily setting down your nets to come hang out with me this afternoon. These two words, as we'll see, ring with eternity. As Jesus extends the invitation to these two brothers, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What Jesus is saying is everything about who you are is about to change. Right now you're fishermen. That's your career. That reflects your ambition in life. That reflects what you're good at, what you know, what you're comfortable with. Follow me and I'm going to change everything. You'll no longer be a fisherman. You'll become someone who fishes for the hearts and the souls of men. And I love their response. Verse 20, immediately, immediately. No Q&A, no list of what if questions. What does this mean for us? Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. So they're with dad, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat, their, follow, their father, and followed him. Now, in the 21st century church, I think that um, there, it, there, there tends to be some misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian by the way that we invite people to follow Jesus. And so one of the misunderstandings that I think surrounds what it means to be a Christian is that Christ, being a Christian simply means is that you have life insurance or fire insurance at, for the end. That if you'll believe in Jesus and ask him in your heart and say this prayer, then go about living your life however you want to, in the end, when you're done here, you're done being successful and pursuing your dreams, then you'll have some sense of life insurance for the next life. And that's all it means to be a Christian. And I think there's a, there's a way that the gospel gets shared that, that indirectly implies that. I think another misunderstanding that surrounds the way we invite people to follow Jesus is this, is that we say, Jesus wants to hang out with you and be your buddy. And so the gospel is shared that way. Are you lonely? Well, Jesus wants to be your friend. Come become a Christian, and you'll have this friend who goes with you wherever you go. And so when you're lonely, you talk to him. When you're, when you're scared, you turn to him. Now, while 
both of those things are implied by following Jesus, right? A promise for eternal life is part of what it means to follow Jesus. That comes with it. Somebody to walk with you, a companion, somebody who sticks closer to you than a friend who is always there for you when you need him, that's implied by what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. But so much more is implied with those two words, follow me, as these four guys are about to find out. Following him means learning from him, following his example, learning to see the world differently. And from the onset, it means to join him on his mission. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Men who no longer spend all your time and resources going after fish, but men who now go after the hearts and the souls of men. Everything about your identity is about to change. Everything about your life trajectory, your goals, your ambitions, everything is about to change if you follow me. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to join his mission. Is a guarantee of eternal life part of it? Absolutely. Is an ongoing relationship with the God of the universe who who wakes with you every morning, who watches over you while you sleep, who is there at every turn of every corner of every moment of your day for you to reach out to and to pray without ceasing and to, and to bring your petitions before and to, right? Yes. But an invitation to follow Jesus is also an invitation to join his mission. See, I think the way we sh- sometimes teach Christianity in the modern church implies that missions is just for the special group of folks, right? The elite Christians or the the Christians who who can't fit in in this culture, and and so they get to go to Africa, right? And so missions is this add-on to church. But from the onset, Jesus says what? To follow me means to be on my mission. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to follow. So these guys, right? They drop everything, and immediately they say, yes, we'll go. And by the time we get to Matthew 16, which is where we're going next, so much has happened. They have been sitting underneath Jesus' teaching. They have been watching him do these miraculous things, been watching him heal and raise the dead and walk on water and feed multitudes. Like So much transpires between this invitation in Matthew 4 to follow me and then where we're about to pick it up in Matthew 16, where Jesus now calls them in and says, all right, guys, I know people are starting to talk, right? We've been making the rounds. We're doing this circuit. We're going from town to town, village to village. People are beginning to say things to you that they're not saying to me. Who do they say that I am? This is in Matthew 16. And so the disciples respond. Well, some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. And Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter gives this beautiful response. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now, we have no indication to believe that he knew that back in Matthew 4 when he first dropped his nets and followed. But by this point, he makes this beautiful declaration, and Jesus says what? Peter, you're right. Good answer. You're right. And your flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. And upon that rock, upon that statement, I will build my church. And then right after that, he says, all right, guys, I need to tell you what's about to happen. I'm getting ready to go to the cross and to die. 
for the sins of the world. And it's right after that that we pick up Matthew 16, verse 24, when he turns to his disciples and says something. He says to them, this is verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, for these guys, all but John end up dying for the sake of following Jesus. And they tried to kill John, right? And so historically, we know that they tried to kill John by throwing him in a vat of boiling oil. He didn't die, so then they, they had him exiled to Patmos, where he received the last revelation and wrote the, what we have now as Revelation, the end of your Bible. So for these guys, we know that when Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you need to be ready to deny yourself and take up your cross and die, that there was a literal sense to it. That for many of these, most of these guys, they all would end up giving their lives. Some of them took up crosses. Some of them were hung upside down on crosses. Some of them were thrown off of buildings or beat to death with clubs or stoned. And, and they, right? So all but John gave their lives to follow Jesus. And so we know that there was a literal meaning behind this, but we also know this, that many Christians have come since this time and not given their lives for Jesus. I would say most Christians in the United States will live, come to know Jesus and follow him and die physically without having to give their lives for the sake of following Jesus. They may die of natural causes or maybe a tragedy or terminal illness, but right? So for, us, for the vast majority of us here in the United States, it's not a literal meaning. So what, what else is implied here? Jesus says to him, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Here he says, if you're going to follow me, be prepared to take up your cross Deny yourself daily and follow me. Whoever spends his time, his energy, his resources trying to save his life, trying to promote his agenda, pursue his ambitions, in the end, he's going to lose it. But he who is willing to lose his life for my sake will actually find it. We go to Romans 12. This is, you know, Paul gave his life for the sake of following Jesus in Rome under the the reign of Nero, and, and so he's, before that, he's writing a letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul exposes and kind of shows us a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus and be willing to take up your cross daily. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers in Christ, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in one sense, when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, be prepared, take up your cross and deny yourself daily. For some, that would literally mean to give up your lives. And in Christ, we believe that if that happens, it's worth it. But for those of us who that doesn't happen to, right, we're also called to lay down our lives. And in Romans 12, 1, these, these two words that don't seem to go together show up, living sacrifice. Right? We hear the word sacrifice without the word living. What do we think about? Giving your life. But Paul says this. If you're in Christ, brothers, you need to be prepared on a daily basis to be a living sacrifice. Taking up your cross daily and denying yourself. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? This is what it means. It means that if you're a Christian, when you wake up in the morning, 
You wake up and you have your agenda on your mind, your goals for the day, your plan. You get them all up there in your mind and then you lay them down at the feet of Jesus before you even start. Here's what I plan on doing today. Here's what I want for today. But I'm laying these things down as a sacrifice. I'm denying myself to take up the cross. Not my will today, God, but your will be done. And to live for Jesus day by day, moment by moment. The invitation to follow Jesus includes giving your life as a living sacrifice for the mission. A living sacrifice. Some will be called to give their lives physically, but every person who comes to follow Jesus does so, laying themselves down as a living sacrifice unto him. God, here's my life. Spend it how you will. Here's my energy. Here's the gifts and talents you've given me. Here's the position you've given me in this world. God, use them for your glory and for my good. I lay them down at your feet. And every Christian is invited into this. The invitation to follow Jesus includes giving your life as a living sacrifice for the mission. Now, this will set us up for Matthew 28. This is the place where after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he appears to his disciples, and then he tells them, go meet me on the mountain. And right before he ascends back to the right hand of the Father, he gives them this commission that we call the Great Commission. Why is it great? Because it wasn't just a commission to be added to everything else that we do. It is the thing that Jesus called the church to do in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And so he told them to meet him on the mountain. Verse 18, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, let's walk through that together, okay? So if we think about it, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 4, he comes to these fishermen and says, hey guys, drop what you're doing and come follow me. And I'm going to change your identity and your life trajectory. Come follow me. And then later on in Matthew 16, after they'd been with him for a while, he says, oh, by the way, if you're going to continue to come after me and follow me, you need to be prepared to offer your life as a living sacrifice, to daily deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, to quit the pursuit of selfish gain, and rather than that, choose to lay your life down. And guess what? In the end, you're going to find it. What does he mean? You're going to find purpose and worth beyond what you could ever imagine. And now here we are in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, right before the ascension. He says, guys, here it is. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, we need to think about that in two ways. One, he's establishing his identity as the son, as the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? He's resurrected from the grave. Do I have your attention yet? But along with that authority as he commissions these guys to go out is the authority he's displayed over both life and death. And so as he's sending them out, he's sending them out to take that authority, right, over life and death to the ends of the earth. With every 
person that we share the gospel with who comes to know Christ, they're, they're stepping into that authority that he displayed over death, right? Part of the promise is, the, is receiving eternal life. He secured that at the resurrection when he defeated death, right? And so he is saying, all authority has been given to me. Take the victory that I have over death. Take it to the ends of the earth. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of the nations. And so um, a literal translation of this would be going therefore, going therefore and make disciples of the nation. This idea that as you are going, some people will, 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 will spin it two different ways. One is um, as you're going about your normal day, the way that you want to live your life, by the way, if you don't, have, you know, don't mind, have some time, share the gospel. Just as you're going, right, if you get the chance to share the gospel. Others would translate it as more of a shift in trajectory that, no, you need to sell everything, you need to pack up your house, and you need to go live in a village in Africa. That's what he meant. And so I think somewhere in between and, and both and all of this is included in what he's meaning here. We get two beautiful examples come to mind of how this plays out. One of them is in Acts 8. Um, this is where uh, Philip is told by the Holy Spirit to, to, go on a, to travel down the road and then to look for somebody who needs to become a Christian. He's on the road and he's jogging up next to this chariot. There's an Ethiopian inside the chariot who has the scroll of Isaiah opened up and is reading it. He's jogging next to the chariot. I'm kind of making that part up. He looks in and he begins to engage this Ethiopian in conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? He said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we pull this chariot over? It'd be a lot easier. So they pull over and there on the side of the road, Philip, as he's going, as the Holy Spirit had prompted him, as he's going, shares the gospel, shows him from Isaiah how Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came as the Messiah to die for the sins of the world, and he resurrected from the grave, that you could have eternal life by believing in him. And, and guess what? The Ethiopian becomes a Christian right there on the side of the road. Is there anything to keep me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, I don't, I don't guess so. Let's, let's do this. And so he's baptized, carrying out this beautiful commission. And then guess what? He gets back in his chariot and heads to Ethiopia and taking the gospel as he's going Ethiopia. Think about the woman at the well. Um, Jesus has stopped at the well, sent the disciples into town. He engages this woman in a conversation. Starts by saying, hey, can I have something to drink? And she said, well, how are you going to have something to drink? You don't have a bucket to draw water. And he says, well, tell you what, uh, can I talk with your husband too? I'd love to talk with the both of you. Oh, I'm not married. Oh, that's right, because you've actually had seven husbands, and the husband you're with, is, or the guy you're with now is not your husband. He kind of shows her that he can see past the facade into the heart of who she is, and she's like, whoa, and there seems to be this kind of conflict between, wait a second, I'm not a Jew, and you're a Jew. Why do you want to have conversation with me? I'm not sure I'm cool with this, and so Jesus takes it to worship and explains that there's coming a time where your people and my people, we will being the Jewish people, will come together at one place for worship in spirit and in truth. And then if you keep reading, right, she takes what happened back to her village, her town, and shares with them what took place. And so as she's going, she takes it back. And so the commission is to these guys and to us, as you are going, therefore, make disciples of the nations. Now, in Acts 1, um, this same uh, event is recorded or a second rendition of it as right before Jesus ascends, he says, my Holy Spirit will come upon you in power and you'll take my gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so if we start with this idea of how Jesus laid that out, he's saying right here in Jerusalem, there is a need for people to come to the hope that, we're, that I'm offering them. 
in my death and resurrection. Start here in Jerusalem, in our community, right here. Share the gospel. Invite people to become followers of me. You know, right here in our community, the same need exists. You don't have to go very far. More than likely from your house, you won't have to travel very many houses away from your house until you run into somebody who doesn't know the hope that you have in Jesus. And so you building an intentional relationship with that family or that person, right, with the intent of inviting them to follow Jesus is part of this commission. Here in the United States, um, I think wrongly, um, in a lot of ways, assumed is that everybody's a Christian, especially here in the South. It's not, are you a Christian? It's, where do you go to church? We know that's not true, don't we? I mean, here in our nation, a place with currently religious freedom, the opportunity to share the gospel with anybody you want, any time of day, so many people don't know the hope that we have in Jesus. Part of our mission here as a church is to go to this nation, to the states in this nation, and, and share with them the hope we have in Jesus. We go to Flint, Michigan. We have been for the last three years as part of this commission, going into a, a part of our country that is, um, that is just immersed in poverty and crime and hopelessness. The same hopelessness that exists a few houses down from your house exists there, and so we go there to invite those who don't know Jesus to come follow him to find the hope that we have in Jesus. Go and make disciples of the nations. Uh, in a month and a half, we'll be in, back in the Philippines, working in that village we've been working in over the last couple of years. Hard to reach people group, no electricity, no running water. Almost a road all the way there, not quite enough for motorcycles, Red Harper. And then from there, hiking out to villages. Last year, went down a river on a raft to villages. Doing what? Taking the hope we have in Jesus to the nations. So this commission to go and make disciples of the nation, it includes Vista West, includes White Settlement, West Point, includes your neighborhood, your block, the people around you, the people you work with, the people on your floor, the people in the cubicles around you. It includes your family. It includes the people in our nation who are really struggling right now to find a hope. It includes the little boy or girl in a remote village. And the point is this, like, this mission is a person-to-person mission. Let me, let me share with you a story of something that happened in the Philippines. And we've shared this, I've shared this story before, but I think it really sheds light on what I believe Jesus is getting at here. So a year and a half ago in October, on the um, two Philippines trips back, um, I had the honor and privilege of going on that trip. And, um, and so we were in the main village there um, working with the school and the individuals, working, building on a church. And then um, Jeff, our mission team leader, was going to send out a, a team to a remote village. And we estimated like a 10 to 15 kilometer hike down through the river and up the valley to the top of this mountain. You can only get there by hiking, Okay. And so he picks um, Mike Dilley and Cameron Glass, these, right? the only two among us who are physically fit enough to make this journey. And so I'll never forget the morning they head out. Their packs are loaded, plenty of water, they head out. And, uh, and, and then once they came back, they shared the story of just how um, frustrating and how difficult the journey was. I mean, one, they ran out of water. Part of the trail was in a river with water and rocks, and they were falling in the water. They lost the GoPro. They ran out of food and water. 
And, 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 and then and the second part of it is they have no idea how much further they're going because they can't speak the language. And so they're following these guys just on this never-ending trail, treacherous down and up. And when they got back the next day, they were dehydrated. Their faces were sunk in. Like you could tell they had been on a really hard journey. And, and so we were debriefing that night, and Mike and Cam are sharing with us the story. And, and I'll never forget the way that Mike told it, how along the way, especially there in that last mile or two, he was just getting really just frustrated in his flesh. Like, I'm thirsty. My feet hurt. I don't know when this is going to end. And like in his mind, he was just picturing, you know, a village with huts. And like, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? And then he shared with us. But then the, the moment he stepped into the village, the first person he saw was a little Filipino girl about two to three years old, the same age as his daughter, Valentina, back here. And he realized, oh, there are people here. See, that's the point. Missions isn't a project. We're not out there trying to convert people to a new religious status. This mission is a person-to-person mission. The reason you're called to go to your neighbor is because when you get, there's people there and people matter. Go and make disciples. There's going to be people there. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip. He sends these disciples out. You're going to, you're going after people. You used to pursue your career. You used to be fishermen. Now I'm making you into something different. Now you're going to be fishers of men. You're going to be going after the hearts and souls of men and women and inviting them to follow me. You know, I think the danger with misunderstanding missions is that mission somehow becomes a project. People are not projects. In this past week, we, on Wednesday night, we got together for Christ and culture and we talked about eternity and, and heaven and hell and what's at stake here. And if, listen, brothers and sisters, if we believe, if we believe what the Bible teaches on these matters, we can't read these things lightly. Like 15 kilometers up and down the mountain isn't too far, right? Like taking up your cross and denying yourself, whether it costs you your physical life or just an inconvenience at lunchtime, either way, it's worth it. Go make disciples of the nations. You and I are here today in this church in Fort Worth, Texas, worshiping Jesus because these disciples became fishers of men. They denied themselves and took up their cross daily, and they went to the nations to share with people the hope they have in Jesus. And now we're here today as a recipient of this. And listen to me. You're now the disciples You are the disciples. You've been invited to now become fishers of men, to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him to the ends of the earth. Some of you, like just like the disciples here, are called to this community to be inconvenienced, to be intentional about building relationships with the people around you, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, with the purpose of inviting people into a relationship with Jesus that would lead them on the same mission. Others of you have been called to go, to travel, to maybe even for long extended periods of time, to pack up shop, to sell out. Go live in the Philippines. Go live in India. Go live in China. Go live in Africa. 
for the sake of the mission. Verse 19, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We won't have time to unpack all this, but the beginning of making disciples means you're inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. It includes evangelism. You're also inviting them into the community of worship, baptism, right, to come be a part of the worship of the saints, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, marking publicly that their identity has now changed and they're now in Christ. What else does he say? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So discipleship isn't done when a person gets baptized. The process continues. Teaching them, mentoring them, showing them to observe. I love this. The word um, observe here in the Greek um, is, is, uh, is the same word used in Ephesians 4 when the church is called, we, we did this a few weeks ago, to, to maintain the unity, that word guard and protect. Toreo, it's a Greek word, and it literally means to guard, protect, observe, and obey. So he says, teach them to guard and protect and to observe, to obey all that I have commanded. What is this supposed to look like? Well, we go back to the Gospels and see how Jesus did it. He walked with these men. He taught them. He showed them an example. When they were wrong, he brought them back on course. When they were right, like Peter was, he high-fived them. That's right, Peter. That's, that's right. Upon that statement, I'll build my church. And so we see this example of what we're to be as a church on this mission. We can't just walk around throwing tracks out everywhere thinking that's fulfilling the mission. Right? Where's the denying yourself in that? Where's the taking up your cross in that? Where's the person-to-person contact in that? I'm not against tracks. We, on our website, have a, a video uh, presentation of the gospel. I'm okay with that. But the point of this is that it's to be a person-to-person mission. As you go, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. I love how Paul puts this in Romans 10. Romans 10, starting in verse 13. Help me finish this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. saved. Man, what a fantastic promise. That's the mission we're on. But look at what he says. Verse 14. Okay, okay, we've established that. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Oh, okay. So they gotta, right? They've got to hear about Jesus if they're going to believe in him. Look at what he says next. And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not or never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming? See, it's not enough to just slip a Bible verse over on your colleague's desk and walk away and thinking that's it. I mean, could that be helpful and encouraging to that person? Could be. I mean, if it's in, they understand the context and what's being spoken there, it might just come across as a dagger, right? The point is that you and I are called, every one of us are called to proclaim, to share with words the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they are sent as you go? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or proclaim the good news. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's what we've been called to, church. And missions isn't set apart for the super religious, those who go to seminary. Every believer has been invited into this mission. And then he 
ends with this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this part of the gospel where we talk about Jesus being with us at every turn, at every corner, someone to lean on when we're you know, feeling lonely, somebody to, to, right, to go to when we're, we're feeling discouraged or we're scared or whatever it is. Yeah, he's, he's with us. Actually, the point of the gospel is that you get Jesus. Absolutely, I'm with you. But here's the thing I think he's trying to say here. He's, being, he's saying more than I'm just going to be your buddy to hang out with you. Like, I think of it like this. So on Saturdays and Sunday afternoons is one of the few times I get to do yard work around our house because I'm, I'm home and I have some time. But it's also one of the few times I get where I'm there with the family. So like spending quality time with, you know, my boys. And so they want to spend time with me. So any given Saturday afternoon or late Sunday afternoon, you might come by my house and see us outside working, picking up sticks or picking up rocks. Trust me, my boys don't enjoy picking up rocks and sticks, but they want to be with me. And so because they want to be with me, they're willing to do what I'm doing. You tracking? To be with me means to be with me doing what I am doing. Absolutely, part of our salvation and part of the promises of the gospel, Jesus is going to be with you, and you get to be with him. But guess what? He's doing something here on the earth. He's taken his church around the globe, and to be with him means to be doing what he is doing. If your only time with Jesus is in solitude, quiet time, right? He's active. Yeah, let's spend some time together in solitude and quiet time and reading the word and share with me your heart and I'll, I'll lead you and guide you, but let's get up from this place and let's go as you are going. Our Savior is on a mission and to be with him means to be doing what he is doing. So he gives us commission. He says what? And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Not a good luck charm when you need a way out. Right? Not just a bumper sticker for your car. Not just life insurance at the end. I'm with you because this is what I'm doing. What I've asked you to do, I'm going to be doing. Come, let's go. Let's make disciples of the nations. The mission of the church is to call the nations to trust Jesus as the Lord of their lives and join his mission. The mission of the church is to call the nations to trust Jesus as the Lord of their life and join his mission. I love how this all shakes out in Revelation. So you go to Revelation, you're looking for evidence of the end times, what's it going to be like, and, 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 and despite all the things that are maybe disputable or not clear on what this symbol means, there is some clarity about how this shakes out in the end. One expression would be in Revelation 7. Listen to this. This is Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude. A multitude of what? A multitude of people. A multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. My question for you is, how do they get there? How do the nations get here? Peter and Andrew are done. James and John are done. The 11 who are in Matthew 28, here they're done. They've passed the baton on. 
We're the disciples now. How do they get there? Because you and I are willing to take up our cross, deny ourselves daily, follow him, and go after the hearts and the souls of men. As you are going, your neighborhood, your work, your family, God calls you to go, pack it up for a week, for 12 days in the Philippines, for two years in Africa, you pack it up and you go. Why? Because you're no longer a fisherman, you're now a fisher of men. Because you want to see this. You want to be a part of this. And you want to know. Listen, the Philippines is where we go right now internationally, but it's not the only hard-to-reach people group on the earth. We're getting ready to wrap up our commitment here soon, next year or two, where we're at. And and we're going to move on. Maybe this is somewhere else in the Philippines or another part of the earth. But, like, in my mind, when I hear the multitudes will be there, like, to know that, like, how do they get there? Because you were faithful to go, to pray, to give, to, as you were going, to be a part of this mission. How cool would it be, I'm just moving into my imagination now, to see that little girl who Mike Dilley saw in that village, there, a part of the multitudes, right, worshiping Jesus. How did she get there? Because somebody was willing to go. You're the disciples now. We are the disciples now. We don't get to make up our mission statement as a church. This is our mission. And when we get there, there are people there. That's the point. Um, Just want to share with you some information about the trip coming to the Philippines. Some of you have been asking. Um, Just so you know, um, we've got, I don't know the final count, 12, 13, between 12 and 15 people going this year. Um, And it's it's going to cost almost just under 30 grand to get this team there. I mean, it's worth it, but it's expensive. And just fresh count, I think we're over, a little over halfway on raising money. We still lack about 14 grand for the team to get them, get them all there. And just want you to know that. And so, like, um, if God puts it on your heart to, to help with that, um, make sure, um, like, if you write a check, put Philippines Missionaries on it. If you put money in the envelope, put Philippines Missionaries on, on that as well. Not asking you to redirect your, your, your general giving to do this, but we want you to know as a church, like this is part of our mission. Okay, this is where we're going. We've got a team. That's, there's a meeting right after church today. They're getting prepared. And, 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 and some of you, um, God's calling to be a part of it in this way. And I want you to know that there's still a financial need to get them there. Here's, like, here's the point. When we get there, there are people there. We're hoping to take them a fresh water system this year to put in place a discipleship process for the believers. These are all part of our goals to even reach a village or two that we haven't been to yet, living out this this great commission. Let me just show you how this works for us. We'll go to some slides and just kind of see how this vision plays out as we wrap up this series. So at Solid Rock Church, our, our mission statement is that we're making disciples for Jesus through gathering and worship, growing together in community, and living the mission in our everyday lives. And so I know you hear that every week in our, like our video, but I want to show you what that means. So at the top left, we have this um, unengaged neighborhood. This represents your neighborhood, whether your neighborhood is Vista West or it's a crossing white settlement or it's in a rural community. Um, this re- represents, or it's a, you know, a village in the Philippines, this represents the neighborhoods around the globe and, and your neighborhood. And so there are unengaged people in your neighborhood. 
And so from here, we're inviting them into a relationship with Jesus, but it's not enough just to share the gospel and then walk away. We're inviting them to become part of our family, right? And so we're inviting them to join us at our, in our worship services, to join with the saints and proclaiming and exalting the name of Jesus and worship and to be baptized. And, and so we want them to show up here on Sunday. We don't just want to hand them a track and walk away or um, pray with them and pat them on the back and send them on their way. We want to invite them to come be a part of the community of Christ. And so that's why gathering and worship is such an important part of our mission. But, but that's not enough, is it? Just to have them show up here on Sundays, they're not going to become fully disciples of the nations. And so the next part of our vision, we talked about this last Sunday, is, is our community. So if you come on Sunday mornings, it's hard to truly feel like you're a part of the community until you start getting involved in mid-sized groups or smaller groups of people. And so we have our mid-sized gatherings, student ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, the shop, discipleship classes. This is where you get a chance to get to know people a little bit better. They get to know you, and you begin to kind of become part of the community. But even that's not fully living out the mission, is it? And so we, we need to get to know each other in a, in a more intimate version of community. This is our life groups where we truly dig in and drill down together into the word of God and how it plays out in our lives and we live out the community. And this is where um, we begin to follow the pattern of Jesus, how he discipled these disciples. And so we do this in community. But that's still not the mission, is it? And so as we begin to live out the mission, it starts inside the church. This is what we talked about last Sunday. You see the little stick figures with the puzzle pieces coming together? Those are your passions and gifts and talents and resources come together with mine. Different, they look different, different shapes, different sizes, but when we bring them together, we throw in together, we become the body of Christ, living the mission first inside the church. This is where we serve one another, team ministries, counseling ministries, more discipleship classes, but even here we haven't completely obeyed Matthew 28 because we haven't gone to the nations yet, right? And so to live out the mission... It includes our mission outside the church, our local community, our nation, the ends of the earth. And so when we talk about the vision, this is what we mean. And it's still not fully there yet until those who we've brought into our community and discipled and sent out have now started engaging the lost in their communities. This is the baton that's been passed from Matthew 28 from generation to generation in the church and now has been passed to us. If you're in Christ, you're called to this mission. If you're not in Christ, we're inviting you into this life-giving, eternal relationship with Jesus where he goes where you go, he walks with you, and guess what? He gives your life a new trajectory and purpose and mission. He says, come follow me. Come and follow me and I'll change who you are. I'll change who you are eternally. You'll no longer be somebody who chases after your own dreams and ambitions, only to find that at the end, you're left wanting. I'll speak a purpose into your life that rings with eternity. Come join me on my mission. Come join me in a mission that matters. And so this is the mission we're on as a church. This is why we speak this out in every service, so that you know the reason why we get together, the reason why we do Everything that we do is a part of this mission. I want to pray for us. We're going to take communion. And uh, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to extend some things to you, some, some promises that Jesus makes to you, that if you will believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, just like Peter stated in Matthew 16, in the moment you believe, all your sins are forgiven. The chains of shame and guilt and darkness are broken.
the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside you, to guide you, to give you hope and direction, to speak wisdom into your decisions, to change the way you see the world. You begin to see the world like Jesus sees the world. And he says, come, follow me, come to me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The invitation to follow him is an invitation to join his mission, and that invitation is extended to you today. I'm going to pray for us now, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm going to encourage you to go to the back and speak with one of our prayer partners right back here in this corner. We're going to take some time for reflection, and then we're going to take communion together. And So let's take a moment to bow and to pray and, uh, and reflect. And as you do so, I'm going to encourage you to ask the question of yourself in your own words, how intentional am I living my life on the mission that Jesus has given me? Spend some time just reflecting on that, and then we'll take communion in a few minutes. Jason, would you come back up and play for us? Father, we thank you for this beautiful invitation to come and to taste and see that you are good, to join you in your eternal plan to make disciples of the nations. And, and God, in so many ways, we're humbled and taken back when we understand how significant this mission is that you've called us to. And along with that comes our confession, how we've been negligent, how we've been fearful, how we've pushed back in rebellion, how we've in so many ways skirted around this invitation to, to make disciples of the nations. And so our confession rings out now, God. In so many ways, we want to lay down our lives right now and to take up the cross and deny ourselves and join you on your mission. To take the hope that we have, the hope that brings light to our darkness and healing to our brokenness and purpose to our purposelessness. The hope we have in walking with you on a daily basis and knowing that we are a love and adopted by the king of the universe to take this hope into a world that doesn't know you. So Father, now would you open our eyes to see, our hearts to follow, to be willing to take up our crosses and to deny ourselves, to lose our lives as a living sacrifice and to follow hard after Jesus, to join a mission that matters and that rings with eternity. Speak to us now as we 